The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The Bears shock the league and destroy the Rams on Sunday night as they prepare to face their arch nemesis, the Packers, this Sunday. Plus, we get you caught up on all the rest of the action around week 14. It's all coming at you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. Hello and welcome to the show, everybody. My name's Robert Schmitz, and I'm your host on this show, Bear With Me, where we review the Bears game that just happened, preview the Bears game that will happen, and then, assuming we've got enough time, we go ahead and shoot around the rest of the NFL to see what did happen and try to draw conclusions from there. Now, a bit of exciting news before we get started. This show, episode six of Bear With Me, is the first show in which it will be part and hosted by Windy City Gridiron's podcast brand. So I'll be partnering with them. I couldn't be more excited about the opportunity to get to work on staff with Windy City Gridiron and provide Bears content to all the wonderful readers there. Uh, Me personally, it's super fun because I've been a member there since 2014, so plenty of the bad years, uh, and to see us get to hear where we are with this team and be part of this brand, I really couldn't be more excited about this project going forward. But anyway, let's get into the Bears review. The first thing that absolutely has to be said if we're talking about this game is that I am so proud of the Bears fans. Anybody who was able to go to this game, thank you so much for being so loud and enduring that air raid siren. From every account that I've heard, uh, y'all were loud, y'all were proud, and you yelled and yelled and yelled, and boy did you get to see a treat, huh? That Bears defense, when it's motivated, it's the best in the league, and I personally don't think it's close. First of all, there are a lot of people out there all over Twitter, all over uh, the internet, and everywhere that are suddenly claiming that the Rams aren't as good as we think they are. Huh. How about that? You're telling me that a team that is now 11-2 and must have just done it with smoke and mirrors because no defense could shut down an offense that's actually good, right? Well, I don't know. This Bears defense is unbelievably talented all across the board. So in terms of what I saw, I don't actually find it all that shocking what they were able to do to the Rams. I mean, nobody on this defense, assuming that you get all the starters that you expect, is bad. I mean, there's a real case to be made that out of the 11 starters on the Bears defense, the worst one of them is Leonard Floyd, a first-round pick that, while he hasn't been amazing, hasn't been 
bad either. He's been causing havoc, uh, moving with speed, and making plays, especially across these last few weeks. I mean, let me just let me just throw out the names. I know all you loyal fans out there already know them, but let me throw out the names of the 11 starters in the nickel defense, and you tell me which one is worse than Leonard Floyd. We've got Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, Leonard Floyd, Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, Bryce Callahan, Prince Amukamura, Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson, and Adrian Amos. And I'm not one of these people that's going to come out here and try to tell you that Adrian Amos is some elite safety. <coughs> Wonder who would do that. But I am going to tell you that he's been playing pretty darn well, and he's the second worst out on this Bears defense. They are loaded top to bottom with players, serious playmakers that are just killing people out there right now. I mean, what other defense goes out and locks Todd Gurley down to 28 yards on 11 carries? which, by the way, is the third lowest total rushing yards he's had in a game since back in 2015 when he had 19 yards on nine carries against Cincinnati. Todd Gurley has been an unstoppable force, one of the best running backs in the league, if not the best, for years now, and the Bears absolutely took him away. Uh, they also crush Jared Goff. Just like we'd said in last week's podcast, Jared Goff has been known to struggle against pressure you saw it in the Fisher years. You saw it last year, rarely in McVay. And this game in particular, Goff looked completely lost, totally out of his zone. There was no rhythm whatsoever that he could pick up as he just got crushed again and again and again. And then his throws started to go to nowhere. His first interception to Roquan Smith, he got bumped by his own lineman and let off a really bad pass. This Bears defense walloped the Rams offense on a level that I don't think has been matched except for maybe the Cowboys performance against New Orleans. This was a special game in a special prime time slot and it deserves all of the attention that it's currently getting. The Bears defense is for real. I'm extremely curious to see how much the Bryce Callahan injury is going to affect this defense over the next couple of weeks. Not only do we not know the severity of Callahan's injury, who is often injury prone, but I am curious to see whether Sherrick McManus can fill in properly. He certainly seemed to fill Callahan's role admirably last night, and not to mention in a couple of other scattered appearances so far this year, he's actually been pretty darn good. So I wonder how well Callahan's been playing due to the rest of the team, and how much has been him. It certainly looked like it's been him. And one other person that I want to make sure to mention is Danny Gervathan, who I think is the unsung hero of this current Bears defense. He's loud, he's proud, and he's everywhere all over the field. He's freeing up Roquan Smith. He's making plays behind this Bears defensive line. He looks like the player that we committed as much money as we did to sign. It's not to say that, like, Danny Trevathan, all pro. It's more to say if there's an unsung hero on this defense, I think it's Danny T. And speaking of leaders, though not unsung in the slightest, let's segue now to uh, the more controversial side of this review and talk about Mitchell Trubisky. Now, for those who haven't heard my show before, uh, I like to think that I'm fair when it comes to quarterbacks. I'm going to judge whether they're wearing blue and orange or not. I'm going to judge a quarterback based on how well they play and how well they play in that game. And just because I say somebody was great doesn't mean that they won't be terrible the next week. And just because I say they're great one week and terrible the next week doesn't make them either. 
the quarterback aggregation at the end of a season matters. Quarterback week-to-week streakiness matters. And at this point in his career, I think we can all agree that Mitch Trubisky, for varying reasons, is an extremely streaky player. Uh, I think he's played phenomenal football this year. And this week, well, it wasn't that in the slightest. Mitch Trubisky played really, really badly. There are plenty of reasons for it, and we'll kind of go into it, but let's not pretend that what he did last night was acceptable. I mean, looking at the stat line feels generous. 16 for 30, 110 yards, one TD, and three INTs frankly feels like downplaying just how bad the game was. But when you go back and you watch more of the tape, what the misses looked like, you do see that that's that's pretty well descriptive. Uh, Mitch Trubisky made major mistakes on all three of his INTs. I mean, there's no no way around it. Uh, the first INT he had was really, really terrible footwork. Uh, the second one was a horrible read. And the third one was more bad footwork. And if you ask me, uh, just one podcasting fan, I personally think it was more due to rust than it was his shoulder itself. While those two kind of go hand in hand, uh, I think there, so. There are plenty of reports out there, in case you haven't heard, uh, that say that when a quarterback's coming off of a throwing shoulder, they can often overcompensate, putting a little bit too much energy into their throws and overthrow a whole lot of balls. And certainly we saw that uh, from Trubisky on the throws to Bellamy and Burton. But I also think, as far as when I watch Trubisky, with as raw as he was coming out of college, I think one of the most important things for his growth going forward is going to be that he plays and he plays consistently that he is there last week and then he's here this week and he will be there next week and he gets to refine those mechanics continue to get used to the offense making reads studying film all that yada 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 and then he doesn't have anything else on his mind like i don't know recovering from a shoulder injury it looked to me like while mitch executed on plenty of plays there were just Others he left on the field, and the Rams punished us for all of them. Thankfully, this isn't a game we can go back and say, Mitch threw three interceptions, and there could have been five more. No, 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 no. He threw three interceptions, and all three of them were his only truly horrendous throws into coverage. He had plenty of throws that he missed players, but that happens, and you're going to get that with him. One thing that I do want to compliment him on was that he showed a whole lot of poise uh, for what I thought in not only how he handled the game and the throws that he continued to make, but most importantly, he looks to me like he's getting way better in the pocket. Uh, I started thinking with the preview coming up for Green Bay about that first Green Bay game and how there was this sense in the second half like Trubisky had no idea what was going on. That never happened in this game. He was still decisive. He was still making plays, making reads, looking for opportunities with his legs, remaining smart, eyes downfield, all the stuff that you want to see from a quarterback. He just failed himself mechanically and let himself down. I I think that there's nobody in the world that's going to beat him up worse than he is in this situation. I've always gotten the impression that Mitch has the right attitude, which only goes so far. Ultimately, the the NFL is a results-based league, so we need to see Trubisky deliver. We can't see this again, certainly not with the playoffs looming, but I really think he'll be able to rebound at least back to average against the Packers this next week. 
His touchdown pass, though, came on one of the most creative plays that I've ever seen called in terms of layers of complexity. Now, Nagy gets a lot of heat, and, and rightly deserved heat, by the way, for not running on the goal line and not trusting his running game where it could work. But given that we know that Nagy would prefer to be creative and gadgety on the red zone, I, I really just want to compliment this Santa's sleigh play. In, in terms of what it did. So he brings all these big defensive players on. Akeem Hicks is lined up very prominently in the backfield. And honestly, if I'm putting my mind in the defensive position, I can't help but think to myself that the Bears look like they're going to run it. I mean, they absolutely look like they're going to run it. They've got these huge people on the field. It is the jumboest jumbo package you could possibly ask for. But this is Matt Nagy we're talking about, right? He really doesn't do anything obvious. So where are the Bears going to throw it? Well, nobody's on the field to catch a pass. So does that mean it's actually going to be a run? If you don't take that first step towards Akeem Hicks, he's going to run you over and get all the yards. So then all of a sudden you've got these defenders that are thinking about like, where's this ball even going to go? And then off the snap, you find out that it's a play action. Akeem Hicks, a defensive lineman for crying out loud, sells the play action fake and Bradley Sowell of all people rolls out to catch a touchdown pass. I'm super impressed. Uh, there are plenty of times this gadget style stuff isn't going to work, but this is the advantage. This is the beauty of what it could be at any given play. I mean, the Bears razzle-dazzle offense, as they love to call it on the broadcast last night, has its major advantages because eventually we have the option to bring that same formation out and just hand it to Hicks and have him slug it up the middle. Uh, we haven't played the basic runs to go get yards on the goal line. I mean, for every time we run a trick play, other defenses have to write that play down and make sure that they're ready to defend it from the Bears. This actually opens up power running later in the season. I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I wanted to talk about that play because how could I not talk about Santa's sleigh delivering a Christmas gift to one of our swing tackles? Uh, my personal favorite thing to see from this game was that we got to see classic Jordan Howard. Good old 24 came in and toted the rock 19 times for 101 yards, one of his heavier workloads of the season, certainly above average for him as he eclipsed the century mark for the first time this season. What a game to do it in, too. I mean, this isn't some Cardinals-San Fran game. This is a big one. The Rams, Sunday night, and he comes out and has a performance that makes Bears fans believe he might just fit in this offense after all. And I don't know. I gotta tell you that from what I've seen, I can't try to pretend that this one game proves what the other 12 don't. But... I am excited to see if maybe, just maybe, he's putting it together at the right time. Even if the Bears go crazy this year, I really think that Jordan Howard is going to get shipped off in the offseason. And while I wish him farewell, I can't think of a better farewell present than a Super Bowl ring before he goes. The Bears tore the Rams up on the ground. I hope that they can keep that going because especially on Mitch Trubisky's sketchier days, we're going to need ground coverage. And at 194 yards with five and a half yards per carry, that's pretty solid. Certainly something you can work with going forward.
total team win, total statement win, uh, backing up a rusty quarterback, shutting down a really good young quarterback. I mean, this game had it all. Kudos to the Bears. This is the win, truly, that the fans needed to prove that they aren't going to wait for 2019. 2018 is the year. 2019 also might be the year, but 2018, right now, is the year. And that's crazy to see. So now, here they go, leading into the Bears-Packers game. It's Packer week, everybody, and you know what that means. We get to gear up a whole bunch of conversation about how bad the Bears have been over the last five years or so. As I'm sure all you Bears fans know, the Bears are now down three games in the Packers series, 97-94. to We've lost the last four in a row, and we're 2-8 and eight in our last ten games. Not only is the history bad, but the recent history isn't good either, considering that of the Bears' four losses, no doubt the one that hurt the most was when the Packers, in week one, beat us by one measly point, as the Bears' coming out party for the Matt Nagy era was totally spoiled in Lambeau when Aaron Rodgers, oh that man we've heard so much about, came back from injury to limp his way to a big, big win on Sunday night. I look at all these factors, from the fact that these Bears care about their history and they're down in that series, to the fact that this very team, this very Aaron Rodgers-led 2018 Packer team, was the first team to beat them, and I think this Bears team, given that there is a playoff lock spot on the line and the ability to be the ones who plant the knife in the Packers' season, are going to come out in this game absolutely pissed hair on fire I think they are going to attempt at least to bring that same level of emotion that they had in the Rams game where they just swallowed the opposing offense to this Packers game and look to do the same this defense has seemed to thrive on adversity when they're pushed up against a wall when they're told that they can't win in a specific situation that seems to be when they play their best a couple examples worth citing uh, and a lot of these are specifics but the Bears absolutely swallowed the Seahawks, uh, ending that game in a pick six. They ate the Cardinals alive when the offense couldn't get anything going. They turned the ball over a whole bunch of times late, certainly shutting down Josh Rosen and Sam Bradford. Uh, they ate the Lions alive the first time they came to Chicago. The Vikings walked away really asking questions about their offense, and then very obviously the Rams. Uh, every time that a major game was needed, the, the Seahawks, it was the Bears' moment to prove that they mattered this year. The Cardinals, the offense wasn't doing anything and the defense had to win the game. The Lions, we had just lost two really important games to Miami and New England and needed to get back on track. The Vikings, it was Sunday night. And the spotlight was on. And then the Rams, the 11-1 Rams, were visiting Chicago, and it was the defense's time to truly show off. I'm telling you, this defense shows up when it counts, and they can waffle a little bit when it doesn't. Uh, this Green Bay game, it counts. It counts for playoffs. It counts for pride points. It counts for everything. 
so I'm expecting one of their better efforts. Now, it certainly doesn't hurt anything that the Packers, if you ask me, are vulnerable right now. They had three linemen miss the last game against the Falcons, allowing four first-half sacks. Kevin King, while not an amazing player for them, is done for the year on a season-ending injury. And then, as we all know, they traded away their starting safety, haha, Clinton Dix, in the middle of the year. Uh, whether he was good or not is to be debated, but when you trade away a starting safety, you don't expect to get better, and they haven't. Not only this, but the Packers just came out of a three-game losing skid by beating a lethargic Falcons team 20-34. to uh, And the question becomes, are the Falcons a good barometer in the first place? The Falcons had just lost four in a row. It looks to me like they'd quit. They're on the road in Lambeau. While they have pieces, their season was over when they lost to the Ravens last week, if not sooner. Do y'all remember when the Bears played Cincinnati and Mitch had his best game yet, throwing for like 297 yards against a Cincinnati team that just didn't care? This seems sort of like that to me. The Packers came out, brand new head coach, and they're fired up because they had one of their better performances of the year. Rodgers looked a little bit more like himself against a team that just didn't seem to care. I think this leaves them open to a little bit of hubris, knowing the history, knowing they already beat this team, knowing everything, even though we just beat the Rams. I wouldn't put it past Rodgers and the rest of the Packers to take the Bears a little bit lightly. They've never thought much of the Bears. That becomes clear when you see it in interviews, certainly stuff that happened before this year. So while they might be telling themselves that they're ready and going to storm into Soldier Field and take on this brand new Chicago Bear team that's been killing everybody, the human element of football and the longevity of a whole lot of these Packers that have just wailed and wailed and wailed and wailed on Bears teams of this look and that look and Cutler and Glennon and everybody else, even Mitch, uh, there's part of me that really thinks the Packers are going to come out looking a little bit underprepared under new coach Joe Philbin. All it takes is just a little bit of underpreparedness to get swallowed by a defense this good. Halftime adjustments probably aren't going to be quite enough. And unless they're locked in from the get-go, I don't expect the Packers' offensive line to be able to hold up to the defense and what they're going to be able to throw at this Packers team. Rodgers isn't as mobile as he used to be, so I expect a whole lot of quick strikes coming out of their hands pretty fast, but Kyle Fuller's going to want revenge against Devontae Adams for what he's done to him over years let alone the infamous dropped interception that would have won that week one game. Look, speculation aside, this game is going to be a really, really interesting one. It's a rivalry game, after all. Not only that, but it's the best rivalry in sports, in my opinion, with the Bears playing the Packers on Sunday afternoon with the fate of the division in each team's hand. One team stands to lose everything, the Packers, and one team stands to gain what they never thought they'd get this year, the Bears in a playoff spot. Uh, you've got a Green Bay defense that's perfectly average. They're 16th in points and 17th in yards per game. Going up against a Bears offense that's also average, but they're 7th in points and 23rd in yardage per game. So, you've got two units that are fairly even that are going to be squaring off against each other, and if you ask me, that's the matchup that's going to tell us the most about what this game is going to look like. 
I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think Mitch Trubisky has a nice rebound game. I'm not expecting 330 yards and four scores, but I'm looking at like 270 yards, a pick, two TDs, and facilitating a decent running attack as the Bears are hopefully able to score about 23 points. I think the Bears' defense, as we've gone over, is going to come out hungry and that they're going to be able to limit the Green Bay offense to about 17. Obviously, that's not as good as what they did to the Rams, but it's really, 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 really tough to follow up greatness with more greatness. So I'm expecting Aaron Rodgers, as good as he is, to be able to manufacture about 17 points, but I don't think he'll be able to keep the game completely clean. I think the Bears' defense is going to be able to take it away at least once, and I actually expect them to score a touchdown in this one. Maybe it'll be dramatic irony, whatever you want to call it, but given that they couldn't score that fateful touchdown in week one that lost them the game, I think they find one here. Whether it ices it or not, I don't know. Call it a feeling. Besides Mitch's play and how that obviously does or doesn't play out, I also think another really interesting storyline to follow is going to be the Bears' running attack. Both Green Bay's defense and Chicago's offense are slightly below average when it comes to rushing defense and rushing offense, respectively, in terms of yards per carry. So I'm going to be really curious to see whether the Bears can get their ground game established or not. Mitch Trubisky, the obvious facilitator, has grown a lot since week one, and the Packers are going to be facing a very different quarterback. So I'm very curious to see, given that they've got a bit of a new Trubisky to plan for, how Nagy and the running game decide to come out and attack the Packers. I expect a moderately run-heavy attack, and by that, (laughs) I guess I really mean that I expect rough balance, uh, because I know Nagy favors throwing the ball, and so I anticipate that he'll bring a little more running than we expect. I think it'll work not super well but well enough to facilitate a nice final score of Packers 17 and Bears 30. If the Bears can pull this off I think that's going to be a nice exclamation point to a great season so far. The true perfect way to send us into the playoffs and give us something to build on over the final two weeks of the season. And that about wraps up our review and preview of the Bears games. Uh, So before we go, let's go ahead and run through what happened in this week 14 of the NFL action and make sure that we're all caught up. The Jaguars faced the Titans and lost 9-30 in a game that I seriously, I kept turning it on and then I'd turn it back off because it was just too dull to watch. The Titans slowly strangled a Jaguars team that is starting Cody Kessler. They've given up. We'll move on from there. The Browns beat the Panthers in a super exciting game where Baker Mayfield continues to prove that the Browns might just have gotten that first overall pick right. A great overall offensive and defensive performance from Cleveland combined with another spotty Cam Newton start means that here we are. The Browns have a whole lot to build on going into the late part of this season. Winning was never the goal anyways, and the Panthers' season in terms of playoffs and contention is now over. At least McCaffrey's looking good, but boy oh boy do they have a whole lot to fix going forward. The Ravens then played the Chiefs and lost 24-27 to in overtime, and I did not think this was going to be this close. Pat Mahomes continues to be his usual self. He's regressed a little bit from being the superhero he was at the start of the season, but that doesn't mean he's not still playing great, and major kudos to the guy for doing that. Uh, the Lamar Jackson experience also continues to work surprisingly well. I really didn't expect, like I said, the Ravens to remain this competitive. Lamar Jackson is a big reason they're able to do it. Kudos to them. Hopefully they'll continue to find success as the season goes on. 
From there, the Colts picked things back up after a very, very weird loss against Jacksonville last week, beating the Houston Texans 24-21. Once again, Andrew Luck goes absolutely crazy, this time in the second quarter, and remains basically unstoppable throwing the ball. Colts pick up a huge victory. Their playoff hopes are very well alive, if not like almost locked based on the way they're playing. They've got to win some serious games going forward. This was a must-win for them. Uh, Colts and Texans both likely to make the dance. Next up, we've got a weird one. Uh, the Patriots rolled into Miami and lost on a crazy, crazy play at the very end of the game. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, this is a game where the Dolphins actually executed the super lateral thing that everybody keeps trying. They lateraled it two times. A receiver lateraled it to a running back, lateraled it to Kenyon Drake, who looked to lateral, and as he looked around, he saw that nobody was trying to tackle him and just sprinted for the corner of the end zone, beat Rob Gronkowski, who was playing safety at the time, and bucketed the touchdown to pull out an absolutely miraculous play. This is what why they don't play the games on paper. This is why you have to play them on a field. Crazy stuff happens in the NFL, and this is the stuff that keeps it so much fun for everybody. Weird to see from the Patriots, but hey, we keep seeing them have down games, and then they come out in the playoffs and just start rolling everybody up again. So I won't count them out until the minute that they lose in the playoffs. The Giants then took advantage of, of a, such a depleted Redskins team. Poor Mark Sanchez. Poor Redskins fan base. They lose not one but two quarterbacks to broken legs, and then this happens. Not a lot to talk about. The Giants technically aren't out of the playoffs yet, but fat chance they make it. The Saints then beat the Buccaneers in a game that's a lot closer than it looks at 28-14. to Uh there seems to be a book out on beating the Saints offense and a lot of it having to do with predictability. If you want more information on that, just go watch Brett Coleman's breakdown of what Dallas did to the Saints. I'm curious because it looks like it's replicable by the Bears. Uh, but anyways, Saints take care of business where it matters. A Buccaneers fall short. They're out of the dance. So be it. Uh, the Falcons then lose to the Packers. We kind of touched on this, but the gist is that I think the Falcons have quit on the season and that the Packers took advantage of that and roared ahead to a victory that probably has them feeling really good, but I don't actually know how much it'll mean when all is said and done. But hey, we'll see this weekend. Emotions matter. The Jets pulled one out against the Bills, who looked like they had everything under control, certainly when Darnold walked out of the game hurt, but he came back in the game and finished strong. Josh Allen goes back and forth between looking like a terrible quarterback who doesn't understand what bad instinct is and how not to throw interceptions, to being a guy who looks heroic at times. Really fast, really big kid. Going to be interesting to see how both of these quarterbacks grow, because neither of them are a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. Chargers took care of business against the Bengals, winning 21-26. to It's always weird when a team as good as the Chargers struggles against a team as only okay as the Bengals, but hey, any given Sunday, right? Checkmark. Let's go ahead and move on. We don't need to waste any more time. From there, the Denver Broncos fall to 6-7. and seven. Their season's probably over as the 49ers come out of nowhere to pick up their third win of the year. George Kittle's big day, as it's going to be known going forward, saw the former fifth-round pick catch seven balls for an astounding 210 yards and a score. Uh, great win for the 49ers. I don't know how much it helps them, but it's always good to see a player develop like Kittle is. Eagles-Cowboys was an absolutely unreal game. 
Tons of stuff on the line for both teams, Eagles and the Cowboys. This saw some absolute craziness. Cowboys' Brett Maher made a 62-yard field goal. Both teams turned the ball over. But ultimately, it was the other John Gruden-sent player, Amari Cooper, who caught 10 balls for 217 yards and three scores. He had a long one, he had a mid-range one, and he had the game-winning catch that fell off of a DB's hand right into his, and he scored it crazy game for both sides. The Eagles' playoff hopes certainly look to be over, as the NFC East has to be Dallas's. I don't know how they could lose it. They've got a very easy schedule coming up, for all things considered. It should be theirs to take. I'll tell you what, though. Between the Cowboys and the Bears, there are some serious defensive firepower in this playoffs coming up. Very interested to see how it all plays out. The Steelers then lost to the Raiders out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, the team just didn't play well. Defensively, the talent is there, but they didn't do enough against a really depleted Raiders team that keeps trading away all its best players. Uh, this is, in my opinion, the biggest problem with Tomlin. He really has a major issue playing down, and I think that affects the team. It doesn't seem like it's a great environment. From all reports that I understand, Big Ben, who was injured in the middle of the game, uh, could have come in sooner, but Tomlin left in Dobbs because, quote-unquote, it would have affected the flow of the game. Dobbs played about a quarter and a half as the Steelers end up not putting up enough points and watching Chris Boswell oaf another kick that would have tied but instead loses them the game. I really worry about the Steelers going into the playoffs, not about playing them, but for them and their fans. They've been on the Super Bowl or bus train for a very long time. If they can't beat New England, I think that may tell us all we need to know about them and what they should expect going forward. The Lions beat the Cardinals, and honestly, I don't actually know anything about this game. It's a score of 17-3, to and I didn't watch a bit of it. Uh, that seems pretty by the numbers. The Lions aren't that bad, and the Cardinals aren't that good. So we'll go ahead and move on from there to the final game that we'll cover, where the Vikings played the Seahawks. This one concluded about 45 minutes ago, and from what I understand, the Minnesota Dream died today. A final score of 7-21, to and Bears fans, as you know, Kirk Cousins came Captain Garbage Time, that seven came right at the end of the game. So it was 0-21 to 21 with about three minutes left in the fourth. Uh, Seahawks having scored off of a Cousins strip sack that they ran back about 70 yards. And this one seems kind of by the numbers. Thielen got shut down again because people are starting to key on him. Uh, the Seahawks resurged once more. Every time we count them out, they come right back up and become a force in the NFL again. I don't want to be the team that plays them. Thankfully, I don't think we'll have to. Going to be interesting to see what the Vikings do from here on out, though, as they've seemed to get worse instead of getting better. Uh, they'll obviously have a pivotal game probably for their playoff hopes against us in Week 17, but I'm really curious to see whether the Bears are going to care at that point. Regardless, it'll be an interesting storyline to follow going forward. And that, folks, wraps up our show. It's a little longer than I expected it to be, clocking in at about 32 minutes and 15 seconds right now. But please let me know what you think of the show. Positive? Negative? I'll take any feedback that I can get. It's important to me that I hear what segments you do like, what you don't like, what you want more of, what you don't need near as much of, and everything in between. Once again, my name is Robert Schmitz. Throw me a follow on Twitter at at 
R-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z-2-8, R-Schmitz-28. I'll be joining the rest of the Windy City staffers in tweeting uh, various thoughts throughout the week, but especially during Bears games. And I will see you around the site. Thank you so much for bearing with me. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.